Welcome to Solder Smoke. This is a podcast about wireless electronics and about the worldwide brotherhood of radio enthusiasts. Please send your feedback to Solder Smoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. And check out our blog at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Thanks a lot. This episode of Solder Smoke is brought to you by Scooter-IT, on-site support and repair dedicated to Apple computers. Visit their website, www.scooter-it.com. All right, guys, good morning. It's, let's see here, it's Sunday, the 26th of June, field day, field day. And that, well, that doesn't make it, but this is Solder Smoke 135. Um, sorry for the long delay. You know how it is. Summertime, summer fun summer stuff but anyway it's field day and and i'd like to tell you that i am operating from some mosquito infested humidity laden difficult field site using solar panels or electricity generated by gerbil gerbils on a treadmill but that's not the case guys i'm sitting here in the solder smoke shack in air-conditioned comfort with a cup of coffee no bugs at all and uh, you know i'm thinking Somebody has to do this. I'm doing my part. Somebody has to maintain the the connected to the grid portion <clears throat> of the field day activity. So I will be getting on the air with my trusty HW8 later in the day, solar powered, by the way, and making a few contacts with field day stations, and doing my part for the big field day effort. You know, I, I participated in a number of field day events uh, as a kid with the Crystal Radio Club up there in Congers and Valley Cottage, New York, in Rockland County, just north of New York City. Had great fun with it. We used to go up to the uh, Nike Hercules missile sites. There were no Nike Hercules missiles at that point. We had given up on all that. Um, but the, the sites were still there, and they were on mountaintops, which is where you would put a Nike Hercules missile. And um, we, um, we set up our field day locations there. Had great fun with it. Oh, I, I have good memories of... Uh, of those field days with the Crystal Radio Club, and uh, but I don't know. In recent years, just haven't gotten into it. I went out for when we were back here um, in Virginia ten years ago. I went out a couple times with the the guys from the Vienna Wireless Club, and I was thinking about going out there today. But we got a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of things to do here with the family, so I think uh, I don't think we're going to be heading out to the to the field. You know, it's a um, it's a good year to be doing field day, and that's related to something I put up on the blog. I um, recently became aware of some of the, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the solar cycle and what's going on with the sun, and maybe we're not going to have the next uh, the next 11-year cycle. Maybe the sun is going to just skip it. And there have been recently some bit, been some big flares and some big coronal mass ejections, so this is kind of caused me to do a little bit more reading about big solar flares and I came across something I'd heard about this before and we covered it on the blog but not not in in too much detail 1859 I think August September time period 1859 we had something called the Carrington event I don't know if you guys had heard about the Carrington event I'm going to go look over on my other computer here back to the solder smoke Blog. Here it is. Yeah, August, September, eighteen fifty-nine. The Carrington event. Um, 
The strongest geomagnetic, geomagnetic storm on record is the Carrington event of August-September 1859, named after British astronomer Richard Carrington, who witnessed the instigating solar flare with his unaided eye while he was projecting an image of the sun on a white screen. Geomagnetic activity triggered by the explosion electrified telegraph lines, shocking technicians, and setting their telegraph papers on fire. <laughs> Man, you're sitting there. Can you imagine now? You're sitting there. You're you're just having a nice old QSO there on on 80 meters CW, and bam, flames go shooting out of the rig and light your uh, your your note paper on fire. Anyway, um, let's see what else they have here. Northern lights spread as far south as Cuba and Hawaii. <laughs> Must have been quite a surprise. Auroras over the Rocky Mountains were so bright that the glow woke up campers who began preparing breakfast because they thought it was morning. (laughs) Best estimates rank the Carrington event as 50% or more stronger than the superstorm of May 1921. We'll have to save the 1921 event for the next episode of Solder Smoke, but uh, of course the the concern, gentlemen, is that... uh, uh, an event of Carrington flare magnitude today would um, do a lot more damage because there's a lot more to be damaged. I mean, the um, telegraph wires and the telegraph system, you know, it, it, I think it, it withstood the, um, the, the magnetic onslaught pretty well. I mean, it lit some papers on fire. But you know, in other reading, I discovered that a lot of the telegraph operators disconnected their batteries from the system and continued to communicate using power provided by the uh, by the magnetic flux from the sun. That's that's. I guess you'd get. I guess I guess you'd get a few extra points on field day for that, huh? Aurora power. <laughs> anyway, um, but if if it hit today, man, it would be uh, that would be a. A, a serious bummer <laughs> for the for those of us who were wedded to technology here. I mean, that would knock the internet off the air for a while, and and I guess we would be back to uh, solar powered, you know, uh, CW from the uh, Heathkit HW8. So um, anyway, good luck to everybody who's out there who or who will have been out there by the time you you hear this. And I hope Field Day went went real well for you. And uh, hope you had hope you had a lot of fun, a lot of a lot of things to report because it's been a long time since our last uh, episode. And I'm going to start out by talking by some tech talk here. People say it takes too long for for me to get into the solder melting here on the show, and of course we're very well somewhat responsive to <laughs> to listener feedback. And uh, all right, I have been melting some solder. I have been involved in projects, and um, I've been having actually a lot of fun on the workbench. You know, I, I've been talking quite a bit about my Whisper Rig. And I know this, I know a lot of you guys don't like the Whisper Rig, but there's something for everybody here, folks. Something for everybody. Because if you don't like me when I talk, don't like when I talk about the Whisper Rig, just think of the Whisper Rig as a direct conversion receiver and a double sideband transmitter. That's all it is. On one side of the board, I have a direct conversion receiver on the other side of the board. I have a double sideband transmitter. The common stage being 
the local oscillator or the oscillator running at the operating frequency of around 10.140 megahertz. Okay, I had it I had it running great, and I had it running with my little Asus EPC notebook computer. The little notebook computer would generate the tones for the whisper system, and with the help of a of a, a serial to USB converter that um, a very kind listener sent to me, I I had the, the little Asus computer controlling the double sideband direct conversion rig, and everything was going great. It would sit there, it was you know burping out the well the slow two minute burps of uh, of whisper signal. People were picking me up in distant locations. Reports were being sent up to the internet. All was well. Then, I guess about about two weeks ago, um, just got home from work. I was upstairs uh, cleaning up, and then boom, we had a uh, a very loud explosion hit the neighborhood. And it wasn't quite clear whether it was the the, the bolt of lightning or the um, the explosion from the the power pole transformer that got blown up. It might have been both at the same time, but it was quite a boom. No, uh, no damage. It knocked the house, knocked the power out in a number of houses. Our our house was spared because our our transformer wasn't hit. But uh, a few hours later, when I came into the shack, I noticed a strange sound in here. Everything seemed to be okay, but um, I mean the computers had shut down, and the, and so there, there there was obviously quite a a pulse, but um, the the whisper rig was sitting there, and the best way I can describe it, it was kind of dribbling. It was kind of how's that for a sound effect? The uh, the relays I I use ancient um, relay technology in this rig for transmit to receive switchover. I got three relays in there. Only probably only need one, but for a while I was thinking about sharing the. Uh, the audio amplifiers for receive and transmit, so I had to have a relay at the at the input and output of the the audio amplifier. But anyway, the relays were were dribbling. They were switching. They were going from transmit to receive several times a second, and it was it was just a mess. And I I went in there and I you know of course you know you're kind of pleased when this happens. Not not pleased that your rig just got got blown up, but but pleased that you have this opportunity for heroic uh, troubleshooting. So, you know, I started looking in, looking around in there, and I quickly determined that the problem was in the um, the transmitter's power amplifier stage. You'll recall that um, my my power amplifier for this rig was um, taken from one of the soft rock rigs from the RXTX version 6.3 rig sent to me by um, Tony KB9YIG of, uh, of soft rock fame. Uh, I had tried to build this this uh, power amplifier on the um, on the little board that came with the kit but uh, my uh, international geophysical year fingers just just couldn't get the job done so I ended up kind of um, expanding the board and uh, Manhattanizing the the project, and I produced using the parts uh, sent to me by Tony, a very satisfying, if if somewhat larger, PA board. 
and it's got a driver amplifier 2N2222 in class A and then it the uh, the actual final amplifier is two um, FET transistors BS170s and I think they are enhancement mode FETs here's my theory of what happened when the uh, when the lightning hit the neighborhood and we don't know exactly where it hit but it hit someplace close close enough to blow up the transformer on the pole out in front of the house it it obviously sent a lot of energy through the little long wire antenna that I have that was going into the uh, the whisper double sideband direct conversion rig and what happened there is it it hit it it probably hit when the whisper rig was in transmit mode and that energy came in through the antenna terminal and probably took out one or both of the BS170 FET transistors shorting the 12 volt line to ground and then what was happening is that the the relays the TR relays were attempting to fire it would, it would get the signal from the computer to say go to transmit and it would but as soon as it went to transmit the the 12 volts to the um, to the uh, PA would short out and then it would cycle again so I think that's why it was cycling uh, probably not happening long enough to fire the um, the the fuse that I have in the line because the fuse didn't blow but the thing was just sitting there dribbling and I, and I won't repeat the sound effect because you guys get the idea but anyway that's where where we were so I'm now in the process of um, of rebuilding the, um, the the power amplifier portion of um, uh, of this rig and here's here's you know kind of an interesting thing I had used the um, the PA from the soft rock because it's um, it's a, it's a linear amplifier it puts out about one watt and it's linear but when I when I when I was reading about um, about whisper I was reading from Gene W3PM's page he's got some really excellent stuff on whisper rigs and actually his page was the inspiration for um, for my um, uh, home brewing in this area and Gene mentioned that when you're running whisper because it's all basically a version of FSK of frequency shift keying you don't need a linear amp in the uh, in the final you could do it with class C so I am gonna do that I am uh, when I when I want to get this thing ready to go I'm gonna put a, a class C amp in there in the final I have a couple of transistors that Mike AA1TJ sent me and I think those are going to serve serve them. One of them will serve as the uh, as the Class C power amplifier, and we'll see if we can get this thing going. I'm having fun with it, and I'm I'm trying to follow the proper sequence of design and build. And uh, anyway, <laughs> I'll let you know next time uh, how it goes. Got some other projects going on here. Um, Billy is uh, decided that that he's going to take a, a bit of a break from the violin over the summer just for uh, variety because variety is the spice of life after all and he's gonna he's gonna focus a little bit more on on the guitar on electric guitar 
he's been inspired by his cousins. He has a couple of cousins up in um, up near Baltimore that we went to see last weekend, and they have an amazing rock and roll band. <laughs> they're on the internet if you want to check them out. Never Ending Fall, and uh, they're quite good. And we went up there for one of their uh, rock concerts. These kids are quite young, but they have a, an amazing band, and they play the the classics from the 1960s. So it was. Uh, it was a good international geophysical year kind of event. Um, but uh, inspired by his cousins, Billy wants to get into the uh, back into the guitar. So we dug out his old electric guitar, got it fixed up. And he's got this uh, beautiful little Marshall amplifier. It's um, 40 watts in, 10 watts of audio out. But uh, we were having problems with some of the, um, the connections for the... Uh, I guess they're RCA plugs or, or phono plugs. The, um, just the, the just the plugs that go in there in the front that you hook up the guitar and the headphones and all that. So I figured it was a time for contact cleaner. So I got this thing opened up here. Looks quite nice uh, and uh, nice construction. So I've squirted a lot of contact cleaner and hopefully this is going to solve the problem and make me once again look like a, an electronic wizard in the eyes of my family. So uh, I'll let you know know how that goes. A lot of, you know, um, a lot of different kind of activity here. I don't know, this last spring and summer, I find myself moving, uh, I don't know, moving ever closer to, um, to I, I, how can I put this, to, to hippie status. I find myself kind of regressing back into the 1960s. I know uh, um, Steve Snort Rosin Smith out there in California will be happy to hear this, but uh, listen to this. I am, I am, I am riding a bike to work. Yeah, I, I got out my old bicycle, and I'm riding a bike to work. I have a, a, an old mountain bike that I bought 22, 23 years ago while in Spain, made in Japan. That shows you how old it is, made in Japan. And um, I don't go all the way into work. It's it's about a nine-mile trip to work, but I do, do a third of it on the bike. I go three miles to a, a train station, leave the bike there, and hop on the train. And I'm really enjoying it. We have great bike trails here. And uh, so I'm I'm getting some additional exercise, and, and I'm enjoying that. And I'm also, get this, this is part of the whole hippie thing. I'm into composting. We got a compost pile. Billy uh, had to do this for a science project. My wife has a, a vegetable garden grown out in the backyard. And so we built a compost barrel. And now I find myself kind of <laughs> fanatically saving banana peels and coffee grinds and, and everything else. So... Um, I may be um, I may be growing a ponytail here and starting to wear tie dye clothing and sandals. So if you if you if you spot me at a ham fest and I I look a bit different, it's because I'm I'm regressing into the 1960s and I must say enjoying it quite a bit. Let's see what else we have here. We talked about the lightning strike. Oh yeah, I've been doing some um, some astronomy. Now I couldn't I can't really say astronomical home brewing, but repair. I had the, this old telescope. A four and a half inch Tasco reflector. The Tasco, if you guys don't know, Tasco telescopes are hated and reviled by the the astronomy elite. They're seen as junk scopes, and they're seen as worthless. And if you post anything about your Tasco telescope on the internet, you'll immediately be greeted by all kinds of, uh, you know, very kind of negative comments and terms of derision and. You'll be told, oh, you were so stupid to buy this stupid junky telescope. You should have bought a real telescope. And, well, 
gets kind of snooty. But I, I like this old telescope, and I've seen some great things with it. I know it's got its um, its faults. One of the big faults was that I lost the uh, <laughs> I lost the little finder scope that goes with it. So I went out onto eBay and got myself a replacement finder scope and and slapped it on there. Dug a, drilled a couple of holes in the telescope tube, and now I have a replacement. Um, a replacement tube on there and it looks quite good and I've been I've been using it but but um, last night we were out with a bigger scope we were out with the six inch Newtonian reflector and uh, our cousin Ramiro my wife's cousin he's a young medical doctor from the Dominican Republic and he's up here doing some research and stopped by to see us this weekend so Ramiro and I were out last night in the backyard with the six inch Newtonian reflector and we were looking at Saturn. We had some great views of Saturn, and, and you could see the Saturn moon Titan there. So uh, we have some some astronomical success and great fun with it, too. Saturn is uh, visible in the evening these days from, well, from Earth. <laughs> and um, we got some good views. The, the other planets, a bunch of other planets up early in the morning, but... Well, you got to get up real early these days in the northern hemisphere to to see it. So uh, we haven't been looking at uh, dead Jupiter lately. Jupiter's up in the morning. I think Mars and and Venus are also probably Mercury. At one point, you could see um, a bunch of them there all all together in the morning. But um, anyway, we were looking at uh, at Saturn last night. Saw a couple of satellites go overhead too. That was that was kind of fun. All right, guys. You know it's it's June, which of course, means that we just passed May. It works that way every year. And in May, we had four days in May, and we have a, a special report sent to us by our correspondent in Dayton, Bob Crane, W8SX, does this job every year. I'm looking forward to hearing these reports. I haven't heard them yet, so we're going to listen to them at the same time. I'm going to play, I'm going to hit the pause button here, set it up, and play um, play Bob's reports from, from, from Dayton. And so... Here we go. Uh, over to you, Bob. Okay, good day, mate. This is Jay, K4ZLE. We're at uh, Four Days in May, and uh, Jim Everly and I did a talk this morning on the Crystal Radio Set, Back to the Future. Let's go back and look at what the Crystal Radio Set looked like in 50 years ago, what we learned from it, and what we should have learned from it. I'm Joe Taylor, uh, K1JT. We had a nice session today. Uh, and uh, my contribution to it was uh, a talk about um, the digital communication modes in the program WSJT, which stands for Weak Signal Communication by K1JT. Uh, and then I spoke about uh, the uh, separate computer program known as WSPR, W-S-P-R, standing for Weak Signal Propagation Reporter. The first program is uh, designed for making actual contacts between uh, AMP stations. Uh, particularly uh, weak signal uh, VHF communication modes involving uh, reflections from meteor trails or from the moon, but uh, also uh, QRP transmissions at HF at high frequencies. So uh, the, uh, the, the particular modes of interest to most of the people attending this QRP ARCHI conference uh, were uh, the JT65 mode at uh, uh, being used for QRP communication and the whisper mode. Um, Whisper is used uh, not for making two-way contacts, but for making uh, 
sort of quasi-beacon transmissions that can be picked up by other stations anywhere in the world. And uh, basically, uh, they, the transmissions serve as probes uh, for uh, potentially open uh, propagation paths. So uh, transmissions are made for a period of two minutes, um, <clears throat> starting on an uh, even-numbered UTC minute. Uh, receivers around the world are tuned to the same frequency within plus or minus a few hundred hertz, uh, and uh, the uh, signals can be decoded uh, even if they're very weak. So the Whisper system uh, basically allows people with very low-power transmitters, 5 watts, 1 watt, even milliwatts sometimes, uh, and simple antennas to uh, establish propagation conditions uh, around the world. Those uh, basically are the uh, areas that we discussed. It was a lively session, and there were lots of uh, questions and comments. Um, at going all the way from the uh, uh, very low-power, weak signal uh, uh, domain to uh, domains which still involve weak signals but don't necessarily use extremely low power, for example, when doing moon bounce communications. My name is Edward Harriman. I go by the name of Ward. My sign is AE6TY. I just gave a talk at Four Days in May. Um, I titled Software-Defined Radios Without the Math. Um, I try to explain how to get started in software-defined radio without trying to figure out calculus-level mathematics. Um, I have a website at ae6ty.com uh, where you can go find my tools and my projects, and I encourage your interest. And uh, was it uh, well appreciated, no mathematics portion? I think a lot of people appreciate the idea of software-defined radio without calculus. And one of the nice things I liked was you did this with uh, basically PowerPoint where the uh, waves added up visually. You could see it. Yes, that's an effective thing I found. Um, my website has the same presentation with all the videos on it if you go to the DSP page. Marvelous. And do you have anything else to say about the conference? Uh, I think Four Days in May is one of the great conventions here in the United States and encourage anybody to come by. It's well worth the trip. This is Dave Kripe, uh, Amateur Radio NM0S, enjoying FDIM for another year. And your talk today was? My talk this morning was on what I call the plumbing-defined radio. This is uh, uh, an analysis and an update on an article that appeared in 1928 in QST by Roland Bourne, who had constructed an acoustic wave CW filter out of pieces of plumbing. And uh, this was kind of an anachronism. It was a, a very ingenious design, but this was the first time and last time anything like that ever appeared in QST. So it was great fun to research this and present that information this morning. And did you build one? I did indeed. Uh, about 20 years ago when I had a whole lot more time on my hands, uh, found copper pipe and a hacksaw and a big soldering iron and put it together and found out why uh, we never heard anything more about this type of filter. It uh, really performed quite poorly. Uh, it rang very badly, but it was uh, tremendous fun to build. And there are analogies between electronics and acoustics in this area. Indeed. Uh, 
to look at these filters, they have a lot of resemblance to uh, transmission line type filters, uh, strip lines with uh, the stubs and the lines. Uh, the, the analogy is very direct. Uh -huh. And you wouldn't recommend this, I take it, as a weekend project? It's worth playing with, but with modern filter design tools, you can come up with a much better design than the one that was published originally. Uh -huh. So, a curiosity. A curiosity, a conversation piece, and I think a good topic for a presentation. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jim, K-8-I-K-E. You just heard Jay make some comments about the crystal radio. I was with him on that. He did all of the LC uh, parallel resonance circuits and antennas, and I picked up where with the audio and typically how to uh, take a look at diagonal clipping, and then later we looked at the FM crystal set. We built a very high Q cavity, and then we used the envelope detection to show that it works just like an AM radio. So that was kind of fun, and we built audio amps to follow that up, and it was just kind of a neat experience. Oh, and how much longer are you going to be doing this? Oh, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we, said, we said we were going to retire, and we'd only be gone for one sunspot cycle. And after that, you'll be back with a uh, talk on what? We're not sure yet. We'll probably be back to the future, back to this time. <laughs> Back to 19 or 2011. <laughs> Hi, I'm Diana Ng, Kilo Charlie 2, Uniform Hotel Bravo. And um, I'm a maker, hacker, and tinkerer. Um, by trade, I'm a fashion designer. But in my spare time, I really enjoy doing things with ham radio. And um, I'm a big do-it-yourselfer. And I uh, used to write for Make and Craft magazine. So, um, I started getting into ham radio and thought it might be nice to share a sort of newbie beginner's perspective about ham radio because many of the things that I saw out there were very technical. And um, someone from my fashion designer's background found it, a diff uh, as a person with a fashion designer's background, I found it difficult to understand a lot of the things that were out there. So that inspired me to kind of make my own um, simpler videos and tutorials that um, I could understand and I was also able to learn a lot about different things. Usually when I'm writing the articles or making the videos, um, I'd pick something that I want to learn about, and then I'd go out, learn about it, and um, sort of translate everything that I learned um, into a video or project or instructions. Um, and I tried to use language that was simple and easy for people such as myself to understand. All right, I'm uh, Chris, WA4YG, and I was invited to be a speaker. Um, this year at FDIM. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, my presentation was on QRP kitting for youth. Uh, basically, it was outlining the uh, details of um, what, what it's like to be a youth in the ham radio hobby, and also um, how kit building can apply to that and um, make the hobby a richer more enjoyable experience for a young ham. Okay. And how did you become interested in ham radio? Uh, I was brought into ham radio through the Radio Merit Badge. Um, as a Boy Scout, I went to um, go and uh, take a Radio Merit Badge at field day one year, and uh, we were allowed to make some contacts afterward. And when I made those contacts, I uh, I um, 
just thought that they were almost magical, and that's basically how I got interested in that. And you're having a good time? A very good time. Uh, the seminar today was great, uh, listening to all the different speakers, and of course speaking myself was a great experience, and I'm looking forward to the next three days here at both FDIM and the Hambenchen. WG0AT. And your name? Steve. And how did you get involved with the goats? Well, um, the, the, the way it began was uh, I was getting ready to, to retire in my, um, I had just uh, probably 10 years prior gotten involved in fly fishing and the fellow that taught me uh, or mentored me into fly fishing, it all started out with I, I built a rod and, uh, and then he said, well, you aren't going to just go buy store-bought store flies or you're going to, I'll teach you how to um, tie flies. And so um, I tied a bunch of flies, and then he took me fishing, and I caught my first fish on the rod that I built and the fly that I, I tied. And it was awesome. I mean, it, it was like building my first rig and making a, a contact um, with that first, you know, radio and your first QSO and how thrilling that can be. Anyway, um, time rolled on, and I left the fly rod in the closet and got busy, you know, sort of finishing up my career. And it came time to retire, and uh, I said, wow, I haven't got that fly rod out of the closet for 10 years. I better get busy. So I did, and um, I, I went up to the local rivers, and on the back cast, I managed to uh, jerk a guy's hat off his head as I cast forward, and I looked around, and I realized it was just too crowded in that water uh, for me, and that's when I, I realized that I'd better figure out someplace more remote. So I started reading a book about fishing high-altitude lakes. I told you this was a long story. Okay. Okay. I mean, you can edit this down, I hope. Anyway, um, in the book, this author, I think it was Gary Fontaine, reveals that his hiking buddy that carries all his gear is a goat. And the light bulb went off, and I said, wow, that's a great idea. My wife has horses. There's no reason I can't have goats. And, I mean, that's a, a fair trade. And the goats would probably eat the weeds. The horses would eat the grass. I mean, that would be complimentary. And so I started investigating goats and got on the Internet. And after about six months of, of researching goats, I said, I'm going to get some pack goats. And that's when I discovered um, rooster and peanut. They're, I call them my, my rescue goats because um, boy goats in a goat dairy, um, they only need one or two bucks for 30 does. And so boy goats are usually pretty useless, and they take them to the sale barn, and they wind up being sold into uh, as a 4-H project. And when... Um, the teenager gets a driver's license. Usually that, that goat that's now probably four or five years old gets sold or taken back to the sale barn and gets sold off to the, the butcher 
or another 4-H project. So um, I call them rescue goats because I, I rescued them from the butcher, and they're rescuing me from boredom, and uh, they're my best trail buddies. So that's kind of how I got into the goat goat thing, and um, I realized I still I still fly fish occasionally, but actually it's more fun messing around in the mountains with the goats and doing radio and making videos, and uh, that's kind of where that all sort of landed. Wow, that's neat. <laughs> Who holds the camera as you're walking? Well, I, I watched, I, I, I was a pretty, going back um, 10 or 20 years, I was involved in search and rescue and learned a lot of outdoor skills and have always liked being outdoors and loved camping and um, hiking and that sort of thing. And I got enamored with uh, Survivor Man. And, you know, here's this guy out doing his own thing in the woods, and he's taping the whole thing and documenting it. And um, I thought, how neat is that? So one day when I was up with the goats, um, we it, it was one of those days where it's kind of like a fishing trip where you don't catch any fish. Well, um, I went up that day, and I had built this antenna, and uh, it was blowing probably 50 knots when I got on top of Mount Hermon. And uh, it blew over my antenna, and I had forgotten some of the connectors or cables. And anyway, I couldn't get on the air. So it was one of those days when I got skunked uh, radio-wise and couldn't operate. And I, I had, had a, a little pocket digital camera with me, and I pulled it out of my pocket. And I was looking at it, and I said, you know, this thing sh shoots video. Um, and I thought, huh. So I, I had a hiking stick with me, and I just Velcroed the camera um, to the end of the hiking stick in kind of a makeshift fashion and started talking to the camera and, and then, you know, getting some shots of the goats. And when I got home, I, I realized that my memory card was full, and so I downloaded it to the computer, and I said, what are you going to do with this? And I opened up Movie Maker, which is the program that is free on the XP, XP uh, OS, and um, opened up the timeline and started dropping these pieces of video clips in and moving them around, and, and um, said, well, that's kind of boring. And so I, I moved them around some more and, and threw in a a little bit of music, and but you have to understand, for about the last 10 years, I watched a video crew that um, I was responsible for bringing into the company, and they made movies for us, and I was told by my boss that I, I couldn't do that. I mean, he didn't want me doing that, but he, he wanted me to oversee the project. And so I watched these guys have all this fun of editing video. The whole time I was thinking, gosh, I'd love to do that, but I can't do that, so it's not, not in my charter. And anyway, I wound up taking that, that, uh, that short video and putting it on the Internet on YouTube, which um, was kind of new at that time, and uh, was able to share my hiking experiences with all my 
my cronies on QRPL, and uh, I got a lot of positive feedback from it, and that kind of inspired me to continue doing that that whole little routine, and uh, it's just kind of grown from from that. That's fantastic. I'm one of your fans, so keep <laughs> going, please. Well, it's it's you know it, it's interesting. Um, I've had people from South Africa, from New Zealand, from Australia, from Europe, um, Japan, pretty much all over the world come up to me and shake my hand and just thank me. Um, and, you know, the, the one of my friends said, man, you'd be a rich man if you had a nickel for all the people that have come up and told you that. And I said, you know what? I'm enriched enriched by all the praise and it's it's just um inspires me to to do more because i'm just doing what i love to do and i'm having fun and ever since i retired you know at this point in your life you don't know when the music's going to stop and it's all about enjoyment having fun and sharing it yes that's great thank you Okay, George Dobbs, GCRJV, speaking on four days in May at Dayton. I've had a very good time. Uh, it's been, I think, uh, uh, an inspiration. Uh, uh, Dayton itself, I thought, was a little weaker than it had been. Uh, the numbers, I thought, were down, but that's my guess. And yet, four days in May, the numbers are up. So, oh, the QRPers sail on and do well. Yes, that's true. Wow. All I can say, I mean, just just fantastic. Great job, Bob Crane, W8SX, our man in Dayton, came through. I think that's the best report from Dayton we ever had. So much, just so much inspiration there. I mean, and, you know, K1JT, Joe Taylor, this is the first time we've actually had a Nobel Prize winner here on the Solder Smoke program. I was really just blown away. And then to hear about the plumbing-defined radio. You know, it's just, just, just amazing. And then, of course, George Dobbs. Always great to hear George. I think one of the kind of the, 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 the true leaders, the, the spiritual, philosophical, and technical leaders in the QRP movement. Always, I'm always just really so pleased to have George's voice on the on the program. I know he's mostly a CW man, and he's, it's a bit of a a sacrifice for him and many others to to speak into that that audio device. But uh, I'm really glad that uh, that Bob convinced him to do it. And then, gosh, the goat the goat presentation to hear the the story of WG0AT. What a, what an inspiring story for all of us, and uh, and just just keep it up there, old man. That's uh, <laughs> Steve. That's 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 terrific, and I love the connections with fly fishing and in retirement, and uh, and the uh, the feedback that you get, and and making the videos, and the creativity, and God, it all just came together. Also, the uh, the, the 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 young fellow who talked about uh, how Eagle Scout. How a Boy Scout brought him into the uh, into ham radio, and our first ever fashion designer 
<laughs> interview here. Diane, it was, uh, it was a delight to have you on the program. I'm a, I'm a real big fan of, uh, of the Maker blog. And uh, especially now that I'm, I'm going more and more into the hippie area, I think I'll be spending more time on Maker Blog. And who knows, there may be, there may be macrame in my future. <laughs> I don't know. But Diane, great to, great to have you on the program. And, and a big thanks to, uh, to Bob Crane and to all the folks who put together four days in May. I'm going to get out there one of these years. You guys have inspired me this year. Maybe I'll be out there next year. It's not that far away. All right, let's see. And now... A word from our sponsor. I told you we have a we have a new sponsor, and it's um, Scooter IT. And Scooter IT is put together. It's a new company by Roger, somebody who's been a contributor to Solder Smoke for for many years now. Originally from the Netherlands, now living in in California in the Bay Area. Roger's put together a new company called Scooter IT, and I got to tell you, if you are looking for assistance with Mac computers, Apple computers, you need some help getting something going either for for work or for home, Roger is the guy to talk to. And we speak from experience here because um, my wife, Elisa, recently decided to take the plunge into the world of, of Apple computers. And I just kind of casually mentioned to her, I said, well, you know, i got a friend from Solder Smoke who, who knows about this stuff. Why don't, you, why don't you drop him a line? And the thing is, we got such great help from Roger. And it was, you know, he, he was just doing it as a friend. But I know that he, he uses the same approach when he's doing his work professionally. And it's just such a friendly approach, such, such a, uh, a kind of human approach, such a kind of a, an approach infused with what I would call old world charm that I really, you know, don't hesitate in, in recommending Scooter IT, your solutions for any Apple or, or Mac related computer problems that you may be having. We have um, a link to Roger's um, website, right up there on our uh, on the top of the blog, you'll see the little scooter. We're very very pleased with that little logo because it's it, I think it's a Vespa that he's riding there. And if you click on the Vespa, it'll take you to his website. Please give him a try. Either either local, e- even if you're not in the in the Bay Area, I'm sure he'd be willing to do a long distance consult. And uh, certainly worked out for us. Give it a try. Give him a call. Drop him an email. We're very pleased to have him this month as the uh, Solder Smoke uh, sponsor. Thanks very much for that, Roger. Thanks for all your help, too. Great, great, and uh, really much appreciated. Let's see here. Um, what else we got here? Oh, interesting stuff been popping up. You know, I I talk about the Drake 2B from time to time. Well, well okay, I talk about it almost incessantly. Um, but, um, it, it really is an interesting rig and it, it deserves all of this attention. <laughs> we recently came up with something interesting and that is, um, you know, Bob Crane did an interview with the, uh, one of the engineers who'd worked on the Drake 2B and one of the questions came up had to do with, um, the, well, you guys might hear in the background here. Let me hear if you, so you can hear in the background. Yeah, that's Capucho the Wonder Dog. I'm going to have to put it on pause here. 
or the neighbors are going to be coming to get me because it's Sunday morning here. Stand by. All right, the capucho problem has uh, more or less been resolved. Although I discovered that he ate the kid's uh, badminton net, <laughs> which we just installed yesterday. You know, these are the joys of, uh, of dog ownership. Not really a dog person, but um, my wife and kids are, so I'm trying to be patient. <laughs> anyway, he's not, he's not actually a bad dog. He's very, he's kind-hearted. Destructive, but kind-hearted, so well, it's not all bad. Um, let's see what else we got going on here. Um, oh yeah, the Drake 2B. Um, Bob Crane did an interview with the one of the engineers who worked on on the Drake 2B, and interesting, we, we there were some comments about the serial numbers and the fact that they're sequential and that you could there might be a way of determining how many Drake 2Bs are out there. One listener wrote in and sent us the mathematics that you could use to estimate with a high degree of accuracy the total number of some object with a serial number based on a, a relatively small sample of, uh, of serial numbers that you have. This is called the German tank problem and it came up in World War II apparently when the, the Allies were trying to figure out how many of a certain model of uh, German tank had been produced they you know they had a limited number of samples and they knew what the serial numbers were so the statisticians came up with a way of, of, of estimating, which I think is pretty interesting. So we're trying, we don't have too many, but please send me your, uh, the serial numbers on your particular Drake 2B, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we have somebody who's going to do the math for us, and we'll come up with an estimate of how many Drake 2Bs there are out there. Of course, if, if you have some book that gives the total number, <laughs> don't tell us. <laughs> Don't deny us the joy of coming up with the number. You can, you could tell us if we're correct afterwards. But but if you have the answer, please don't give it to us. Um, speaking of campaigns, you know, um, a number of listeners sent me emails about Radio Shack, and apparently, the Radio Shack stores—they're trying to. I guess I guess the way to put this is they're trying to put the shack back in Radio Shack, or to get Radio Shack back in the Ham Shack. But they apparently have noticed that uh, DIY electronics is in something of a of a renaissance now, and they're going to try to, uh, they say, kind of try to to please the uh, the electronic homebrewer, the uh, the the radio fiend, the the soldering the solder melting madmen out there. That's us. So this is good news, guys. I, I've always been pleased with Radio Shacks. I know. A lot of guys kind of rave and rant about their shortcomings, but, well, there aren't too many places where you could get a um, 15 microfarad electrolytic capacitor on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> close by the house. So, uh, anyway, I've come to appreciate Radio Shack, and I'm glad they're coming, getting back in the DIY business. They set up a website there for a while saying, asking radio amateur, asking customers what, what they should do to be more useful for the DIY electronics guy. And I, on the blog, asked people to write in saying that they should sell an offer for sale and work out some deal with the author of the award-winning electronics book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics. Now, of course, I have a, uh, a real personal interest in this particular product line, but 
if Radio Shack still has that site up, go ahead and please send in messages saying, please give us solder smoke. We need solder smoke the book. Hopefully, uh, Radio Shack will will see the light, and then I could go into um, full time solder melting here, and uh, well, that'd be great. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got. Oh, uh, just a couple other little technical projects before we get to the to the mailbag. Um, you know, I mentioned, I think, on the last podcast that I had an old UPS, uninterruptible power supply. Remember when we used to have these connected up to all the computers because everybody lived in fear that the thing would conk out and we'd lose data? Well, I had an old one here, and I, I cracked it open, and I was trying to see if I could find, uh, you know, some parts that I could use for my solar charger or anything else. And there's a lot of good parts in there, no doubt. But I think I'm going to end up just stripping it. I'm not going to try to use the circuitry there. But what I noticed was that the little 12-volt gel cell battery looks like it's about five amp hours uh was looked like it was in great shape it was completely empty i mean it was like 0.6 volts across it or something so i took it out in the backyard with the volkswagen solar panels hooked them up and left it out there for for a couple of days went back and that baby is charged up actually i'm running my Heathkit hw8 off of it uh, i make a few uh, cw contacts on 80 and 20 meters every once in a while and uh, it gives me great satisfaction to know that I'm doing it with um, with solar power again this is part of the the hippie phenomenon that's going on here you know I'm, it's the whole granola and um, compost pile and bike riding and vegetable gardening and thing and well there you have it solar power solar power to a Heathkit HW8 next I'm going to be reading the last whole earth catalog and all that kind of stuff <laughs> But um, anyway, the the, um, the VW uh, solar panels charge that thing up really well, and uh, um, battery powered, solar battery powered. Speaking of battery powered, this brings us to the last uh, project or initiative that we're going to discuss this week, and that's um, I don't know if you guys have been following. I'm sure you have, but uh, our uh, our good friend uh, Mike AA1TJ has been in Europe, hiking around Austria and Germany, and I think maybe ducked into Italy there at one point, I'm not sure. Went to Friedrichshafen for the um, for the big ham fest. Was on um, Lake Constance, site of the uh, the Zeppelin uh, tests, all kinds of great stuff, and Michael's been sending back wonderful reports. He's been on the air in his travels with a um, little homebrew rig powered by one D-cell battery. <laughs> He's been making contacts. He's been picked up by the Reverse Beacon Network. It's been really interesting. Not only that, as he's been walking along there through the old world, his um, his thoughts have been back in the International Geophysical Year, back in the IGY days, you see. He hasn't referred to the IGY, but, of course, that's what I thought about when he mentioned Sputnik, Sputnik 1, that first satellite that scared the heck out of everybody over here. Um and, and gave uh, gave us all kind of uh, a reason to get going on uh, science, technology, and physics. Anyway, Michael's been thinking about it, and he's been thinking specifically about the 20 megahertz transmitter that was included in Sputnik 1. You know, they had other transmitters there, I think, at VHF and UHF. Um, it may have, been, may have been at VHF. But uh, the, um, the Soviet designers decided on this first flight to put in a uh, transmitter that would be receivable by people with 
ordinary, not too sophisticated receivers. And so they built a little um, transmitter for 20 megahertz that you could pick up with a shortwave receiver. And um, I think they set it up just slightly above 20 megahertz so that it would it would produce a tone so you could you could you could you could get the modulation and off it went and a lot of people around the world including including our friend Arnie Coro uh, CO2KK from Havana he recalls listening to this particular transmitter with his um, Hammerland receiver from uh, from Cuba as a, as a teenager, so I got a kick out of that. Been been reading Arnie's stuff and listening to his program on Radio Havana for a long time. Um, anyway, this gave Michael the idea. Let's recreate. Let's use our um, our electronic skills and and build replicas of the Sputnik transmitters. Obviously, we won't use twenty megahertz, but maybe we we can go up to the 15 meter band at 21 megahertz or maybe down a bit maybe go down to to 20 meters depending on how the sunspot situation is but let's build some replicas of this and on international sputnik day have everybody who built one get on the air and try to make sputnik transmitter contacts anyway we now we've been trying for um, weeks now to get more technical data and hopefully a schematic diagram of the sputnik uh, 20 megahertz transmitter. So far, no schematics, but we found out that in the um, in a museum in Kansas, there is the flight spare of the Sputnik uh, spacecraft, apparently ready to go, and apparently including the um, the transmitter uh, for 20 megahertz. So we're we're trying to organize something where uh, we can get permission to go in there, crack that thing open, and. Uh, hopefully reverse engineer the uh, the transmitter. We've been getting a lot of email coming in. If you know anything about this, if, especially if you have an access access to the uh, uh, to the to the uh, schematic diagram, let me know because we could sure use it and it would be uh, a great great help to um, uh, a worthy uh, technical cause. And we've been having a lot of fun with that. All right guys, now uh, that brings us to the time of the show. It's now time for Solder Smoke Mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, Solder Smoke Mailbag. First, somebody I've been meaning to acknowledge for a long time. Thanks to Mitch, AA4WV, for giving me a very nice article on um, direct conversion receivers. We ran into each other over the winter at the Vanna Wireless um, uh, Frostfest, or Winterfest, rather, and um, I didn't get a chance to acknowledge him and thank him here. <clears throat> so, but 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 thanks for that. And let's see here. And let's go into the go into the mailbag here. I've got the screen in front of me now. Got one um, from um, from Bob KD4EDJ, <clears throat> and he he picked up the Amazon Kindle PC reader for the book, and it worked great. Ah, the Drake Two B dial chart KD8 K, uh, KB8 DNR sent in. A couple of nice um, modified dial charts for the Drake 2B. Somebody sent me in a nice one. It's basically a, the, what the dial would look like on the Drake 2B for uh, 160 meters and the work bands for 30 meters and 17 meters. I, I've used my Drake 2B on both 30 and 17. Hope to use it someday on 160. And uh, this very handy dial chart um, is, is very useful when you do get on those bands. 
and we have it up on the on the Solder Smoke blog, so check that one out. Thanks very much, KBA DNR. Uh, got another message here. Oh, this is a nice message from Colin M0CGH over there in the UK. Hi, Bill. I'm still in, still enjoying your podcast very much, and I have the T-shirt to prove it. My parents bought me Solder Smoke the book for Christmas, and I must echo other people's comments that it is very good, and the explanations you give make a lot more sense than those in the other technical publications. <clears throat> Colin sent us in some pictures of a homebrew rig that he's been working on, and I put them up on the blog. Thanks for the nice email, Colin, and good luck. Keep us posted on your projects there. Um, um, Alan Hale sent us in a nice article on um, uh, that it would be of interest to, to ham radio operators. I'm going to try to get that up on the blog. Always nice to get email. We get a lot of great messages from Alan, WA9IRS. Uh, thanks thanks very much for that, Alan. We'll try to get that up on the blog soon. Let's see what else we got here. Um, Bob, WA1EDJ, <clears throat> says, I'm still listening to older Solder Smoke podcasts back to 120 or so. I wonder if anyone has ever find out how, found out how many radio amateurs that use the CW still use a straight key. Well, I sure do. <laughs> anyway, so, so uh, I'm on the I'm in the straight key mode there, uh, 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 Bob. Thanks for the thanks for the email. Jan uh, DK, DK3LJ writes in from Frankfurt near Frankfurt. He says, Bill, as you know, the equivalent of home brewing in the IT world is open source source software. As a ham and developer at the same time, I thought I'd combine the two and occasionally submit a bit of code. Sometimes some time ago. I've written a CW library for AVR microcontrollers, and as a demo, it comes with a memory keyer. The design, probably aided by the fact that it is entirely free, has found its way into some Korean QRP gear. I have no idea what it says about me. Hopefully, they are not complaining about the lack of features. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jan uh, uh, gives us some links. I'll try to get them up on the page. Thanks very much for that, Jan. Thanks for writing in. Um, let's see. Lars, OZ1, CJX, OZ9G, and 5Q5RP says, I thought you might be interested in the following. Ah, this is Copenhagen Suborbitals. Holy cow. We talked about this on the blog, and this is amazing stuff. This is um, amateur rocketry taken to the max because they intend to, to send an actual human being up in the rocket. They had a launch. Um, I put links to their sites there, and I, I had to comment. I said, man, this is kind of scary to me because these guys seem to be using the same kind of um, build design philosophy that I've used here for many years at N2CQR. And, well, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to be riding in a rocket that was built using that method, you know, build, design, build again. Anyway, uh, they had a launch, and, and Copenhagen suborbital certainly worth taking a look. And thanks very much. There's a guy, um, uh, OZ2CPU. Uh, he actually was featured on our blog a while back because he's the one who opened up the SBL1 WE Balance Mixer Diode Ring Mixer and put the picture up on his site. So, And we got a nice email from, uh, from OM uh, OZ2CPU. Good luck to the fellows at Copenhagen Suborbital. Godspeed from N2CQR. <laughs> Let's see. What do we got here? Hold on. Hit the button. Uh, N1FBZ, Michael, wrote in from South Burlington, Vermont, in, you know, commenting on the Radio Shack campaign. Thanks for that. And, uh, oh yeah, Adrian, uh, PA0RDA wrote in with a joke that he told about uh, about regens. 
It says, a couple of years ago, we were on a field day. Good field day joke. I put up a ZEP antenna for 80 meters. So 40 meter wire and uh, 20 meter ladder, 40 meters of wire and 20 meters of ladder line. We had a barbecue on Saturday night and one of the visitors brought his regen built on a breadboard with nails. Um, I never heard one of these, but, but he wanted to demonstrate it and asked if he could use my antenna. I agreed. So we had a lot of others come crowding around the caravan. He did not succeed in getting any intelligible sound out of the thing after 30 minutes and was about to give up. Then I suggested to swap the wires of the ladder line. My argument was that it sounded like the wrong sideband and this might solve the problem. We stood there, thought for a while. He stood there, thought for a while and swapped the cords of the ladder line. After playing around with it for 10 or 20 seconds, all of a sudden a clear voice came out of the machine. He was stunned. But I and two of the more experienced hams fled to the tent with drinks to laugh our heads off. It was good fun, though. Good. <laughs> Thanks for the field day joke, Adrian, that we're reading here on, on field day. Thanks a lot. Let's see here. What do we got? Bum, bum, bum. Ah, you know, Grayson writes in from Ankara, Turkey. KJ7UM portable TA2 asks if I was going to go to Dayton. Well, no, didn't make it. Maybe next year. Thanks for thinking of me, Grayson. Let's see. Uh, ah, you know, and um, got a got a got got some nice email from um, from the folks at Sierra Radio, including George uh, George Zaff. Um, and I think they had they had a great time at Dayton at Booth Four Hundred Six. He said it was a big success, and they, their um, their kit, the the Hamstack product, was really well received. And so we were delighted to hear that it worked out. And continued good luck to you, George, and to, to everybody at CR Radio. Thanks thanks for all your support. Okay, here's another another interesting email. Let's see who's this one from from uh, Mike N Five J K Y. In Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. This one, you guys get a kick out of this one. Hi, Bill. I've been rereading Solder Smoke in the Kindle edition and again saw your comments about Wilson's book From Atoms to Amperes. I remembered trying unsuccessfully to find a copy before, so I thought I should would try again. Surfing over to Amazon.com, I found used copies were selling for $400 to $600. Could this be another case of price inflation due to solder smoke, along with the Drake 2B and solid-state design? However, my story has a happy ending. I found a used copy in the UK for $6, much more to my budget. Now, you know, um, Mike, I, I, when you sent this to me on June 22nd, on, on Sunday, today, I, I took a look over it at... Um, at Amazon, and I found a page here. You guys, I'm, you, I don't know what's going on here, but listen to this. I'm at the Amazon.com page. This is not the 1st of April. I'm looking at the page for From Adams to Amperes, Bernard Babini, Babani Publishing, Radio and Electronics, Paperback, F.A. Wilson, the author. Available from two sellers. One, International Books, a very reputable firm, obviously with uh, ships from Maryland, United States. And it has a used, very good copy of this book available for, drumroll please, (laughs) $2,123.80. Okay, and and if you can't get that one, there's another seller, S. Naylor Books, with 99% positive rating, ships from the United Kingdom, has the book in stock, and will 
sell it for $3,403.02. Get the, wait, hold on, $3.99 for shipping. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what's happening with the, with this book, but it's good. It's not that good. <laughs> anyway, I hope somebody can enlighten us as to what's, what the heck's going on there, um, Mike uh, uh, N5 JKY says, I thought you'd be you'd find the Slate article interesting. Better batteries will save the world by Farhad Manju in Slate at Slate.com. Check it out. I'm going to do, do so myself a little bit later. Uh, this is from um, also from Germany. Michael, a DL4 MGM. I'm, I'm writing in at the, from the camping side of the ham radio fair at Friedrichshafen, Germany. Today, I attended a talk by Giancarlo Moda, I7SWX, about the Hurricane Project. It's about raising donations and developing a 20-meter, 40-meter SSB CW digital transmitter receiver or transceiver to be passed on in kit form to people in need in different countries with a main focus in helping improving emergency communications. Yeah, we talked about this before, I think, on the, on the blog. Sounds like a really interesting and worthy project. He says they could definitely use some pimping <laughs> by a podcast with an interested audience. Well, I'd be happy to put in a good word. I wouldn't. I wouldn't refer to, refer to my actions in quite those terms. But yeah, I think we'd put in a good word for for Giancarlo and the boys. Have a look at their website at http www.hurricaneproject.altervista.org. And perhaps do an interview with Giancarlo. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Michael. And uh, yes, we will we will keep on going here. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see what else. Um, you know, uh, the the, the thirty four hundred bucks for F. A. Wilson's book. Man, um, let's see. Got a, other things. I think that's about it, guy. Oh, you know, here's some sad news. You know, I meant to meant to mention this. Um, and Bob Pease, uh, an analog guru, a guy who really had the knack, um, passed away and died at the wheel of his uh, 1969 Volkswagen Beetle. Um, and Bob will be uh, be greatly missed. Frank of EK2AKG sent me word of his passing, and uh, um, I, there was a lot of news out about him. But but thanks for letting us know about that, Frank. And I, it's a it's a loss for the entire uh, knack uh, community. What else do we have here? Oh, a couple of things. A couple other sort of uh, mail-related announcements. You know, I'm gradually getting into Twitter. Um, I have actually tweeted, and um, I'm back. I'm back using the just just old just plain old solder smoke. If you want to follow us on on solder smoke, you don't have to use solder smoke HQ. I uh, just just plain old solder smoke will do it. And thanks for the uh, the fellow who set that up for me. And um, there's another feature. I wanted to ask for a favor, you guys, before we close. Uh, I, I usually announce the podcast now through um, an, through the presentation of a blog page that shows you where you can get the uh, the audio file. And you'll notice at the bottom of all the blog articles, there's a little mail thing there, a little mailbox symbol, and that makes it easy for you to forward by mail the um, the blog story at hand. So if you don't, if you could. I know all of you have all kinds of uh, ham radio emails in your mailbox. When you see this, um, when you see the, um, the 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 blog article about the podcast, 
Now please hit the forward button and send it to any radio amateurs who you think might be might be interested. We'd like to expand our listener base a little bit. And I think that would be a nice way to do it. Word of mouth is always the best uh, best advertising. And so if you'd be kind enough to forward it to your ham radio friends and suggest they take a listen or visit the blog occasionally, that would be that would be a big help. I'd like to see those uh, those numbers of um, of listeners go up a bit. That'd be great. All right, guys, that's uh, that's about it uh, for this edition of uh, of Solder Smoke. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Seven threes from um, the wilds of Northern Virginia, and I hope you all have uh, have a very good summer. I'll try to keep the the podcast going even uh, as we head into the uh, the peak of the summer season. Um, thanks very much, and seven threes from Northern Virginia. This issue, this episode of Solder Smoke has been brought to you by Scooter-IT.com. Quality Mac-related and Apple-related computer services brought to you with a real fine human touch. Check them out, Scooter.IT.com. The Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes, and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, Consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!